Today we're going to begin a new study of the Gospel of Mark. But before we jump into the text, let's take a step back and talk about the world in which the Gospel of Mark was written. Now, Jesus' earthly ministry took place somewhere around the year 30. That is 3-0. We're not entirely sure, and that's okay, but we're close. And his earthly ministry probably only lasted for a short time, somewhere around three to four years. Now, after Jesus' earthly ministry was finished, that is, he was crucified, died, and rose again, and then ascended into heaven, that's when the gospel, that is, the good news of Jesus being the Savior of the world, began to spread rapidly throughout the Mediterranean region. And in fact, that's when thousands upon thousands of new Christian believers became what is the church. Now, it's important to remember that in those early years after Jesus visited the earth, his words were not written down right away. And why is that? Well, Remember that in antiquity, most people on earth could not read or write. In fact, that was the purview of a very small group of wealthy, educated aristocrats and religious leaders. vast majority of people, you and I included, would not have known how to read or write back then. And that's okay because Jesus made it very clear. I want you to tell people about my words and his salvation. And that's what happened. And people told other people, one-on-one, one-to-many, verbally, the word of God and of Jesus' life. Well, this was very successful. And in fact, Christianity grew more rapidly in the first 30 years after Jesus' earthly ministry than any other religion in world history. But there came a time around the year 50 to 60, maybe 70 A.D., in which it became clear that Jesus was probably not returning to the earth as quickly as some of his followers thought. So, it was decided that we should write down what Jesus said so that we could preserve it for future generations, and that's exactly what happened. Now, we're not entirely sure which gospel was written first. However, it is thought that... uh, uh, large number of people think that Mark might be the first gospel ever written. And there's a few lines of evidence for that. It's not super important, but it is kind of good to know. Um, first of all, Mark is the shortest gospel. Uh, it is picks up right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and ends with his resurrection. It doesn't include anything about his birth, uh, includes very little about his family, Um, and includes uh, nothing, really, uh, after his earthly ministry is over. Also, large sections of Mark, even sometimes word for word, have been copied into two other Gospels that we have, that is Matthew and Luke. So Matthew and Luke almost certainly used Mark as a source for some of their material to fill in some of the gaps that they didn't know. Well, that makes sense, and it can only happen if Mark was written first. Another thing to keep in mind is that um, the New Testament itself, the books that we have, are not necessarily in the order that they were written in antiquity. In fact, um, some people don't realize that it's probably the letters of Paul that were written first. Maybe Galatians, um, his letter to the Thessalonians, those almost certainly were written before anything else in the New Testament was written down. But like I said, 
it started to become clear that the the original disciples were dying off, the original eyewitnesses to Jesus were dying off, and it became very important for that community to say, we need to write down this stuff before this first generation of people who knew Jesus personally are gone. And that's what happened. So we have now the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is very interesting. In fact, in the history of world literature, it is the first of a genre of literature that we call the gospel. So the author of Mark is certainly a trailblazer here, providing what is essentially a narrative account of the life of Jesus, that is, his actions, his behavior, and his words. Now, when I teach the New Testament, I uh, teach my students to ask three questions every time they read the Bible. The first question is, who wrote it? And when I ask who wrote it, I don't necessarily mean the individual and his name and his, and his birthday and his favorite uh, ice cream flavor. What I'm asking is what kind of person has written it, because that tells us a lot about how to interpret the text. The second thing we ask is who was the audience? Again, if there is a specific person like Theophilus in the Gospel of Luke and Acts, that's one thing. But typically, we don't know the exact person it was written for, and typically, it wasn't written for one person. It was written for a community. So the question is, who was that community that that writing was written for? And thirdly, and most importantly, the question is, why was it written? There were certainly specific reasons, both specific and general, that the text that we have today was written, and what were those? And answering those three questions is paramount to understanding the text and how to interpret it. So let's talk about the Gospel of Mark. Well, who was the author? It's a very good question. It's important to know that none of the Gospels are autographed, meaning none of the Gospels actually say within them who wrote them. Now, you might be saying, Brian, you're ridiculous. I see in my Bible right now, there's this name Mark at the top. Well, you have to understand that that was not there in the beginning. Um, In fact, all of the titles of all of the books of the Old and New Testament we have today were added later, after they were written. So we don't know who specifically wrote the Gospel of Mark, but we can figure out the kind of person by the text. It seems as though this is not an eyewitness, but it seems as though the author has had direct access to someone who was an eyewitness by the writings themselves. Now, church history is actually a very good source, I believe, of filling in the gaps of some of the questions we have about the writings. In the second century, that is, probably less than a hundred years after this was written, the early church fathers immediately and unanimously were circulating that the Gospel of Mark was written by someone who was a disciple of Peter, one of the original 12 disciples. That's probably true. It seems as though this person had direct access to someone who was an eyewitness to Jesus. And it also seems as though it was not necessarily written by the disciple himself, but probably transmitted to someone else, and that's fine. The other thing here is that um, Mark itself, uh, if you look at it, seems to be explaining, as you go through the text, a lot of Jewish customs and names and, and phrases. That tells us something. That tells us that the author probably is 
a Jew or was a Jew, is familiar with the customs of the Jewish people, but that his audience is probably not Jewish, at least not mostly Jewish. So there, now we know who the audience is. It seems to be people who are not necessarily familiar with Jesus. They're not familiar with his customs, and they're certainly not familiar with the customs of the people in which Jesus came from, that is, the Jews of the region of Israel. Why was it written? That's another great question. And it seems to be answered by the first two. That is, this is an attempt by someone to document the life and sayings of Jesus, to preserve it for future generations, and to get it accurate. Now let's talk briefly about chapter 1, its style, and then we'll actually read chapter 1 together. So, what is Mark? That is the gospel saying. Well, it's absolutely called to discipleship. It's a discipleship with Jesus, and it seems to be different from the other religions, including Judaism of the day, in that this is a call to be a student and a follower of Jesus and not just someone who follows a code of behavior. It's a focus on fellowship as kind of the root and heart of a disciple's life. It talks about trusting Jesus and and confessing in him and knowing him and being shaped by him. This is very different than many other religions of the period, uh, certainly different than the secular schools of the period. And it's also a preparation to be prepared for rejection. The author wants to prepare his audience for the coming trials that the followers of Jesus will experience. And like we said, the style itself is kind of a docudrama. Uh, it seems to be uh, clips of speeches and, and dialogues. And it's important here to see that the author has arranged the narrative material in a way that makes sense to help communicate as clearly as possible to the audience what's happening. So, not everything in Mark is literally chronological. Some pieces have been moved around, and that's okay. It's okay because it doesn't claim it's chronological. Uh, What it's trying to do is make it clear to the reader or to the uh, listener um, what is actually happening so it's, it's not confusing. And in fact, the language of Mark, if you look at the original Greek, is very basic Greek indeed. It is not high literary. This was not written for aristocrats. This was written for people like you and me. Okay. Again, like we said, the book itself is kind of a collection of stories, not strictly linear, kind of a mosaic. Uh, And so now we get into Mark chapter 1 itself. Let's talk about that. We're going to read Mark chapter 1, the entire thing from the beginning to end. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight his paths. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, 
and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing the nets. Without delay he called them, and he left their father Zebedee in the boat and hired men and followed him. Now they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil or unclean spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went with her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought Jesus to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place, where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few quick comments about Mark. First, as you'll see, it jumps right into the beginning of his earthly ministry, preparing the way with John the Baptist. And Jesus is baptized. Why is Jesus baptized if he is truly God in the flesh and he's the one that takes away our sins? It's important to see how 
Jesus here is identifying with his people and humbly accepting that he is not above what the Father expects of us. So Jesus is, in fact, our model, our role model. If Jesus can do it, we can too. And he chose to be baptized. And remember, as you look at the text, that greatly pleased God. Remember, God hates the pride and proud heart. And Jesus here is showing his great humility, his great humility to be baptized and his great humility to be tested in the desert with Satan. We see also here the calling of his first disciples and how Jesus must have had a magnetic personality because he went to these people who had a livelihood and they, according to the text, almost immediately left that livelihood to follow Jesus. And then we see Jesus' earthly ministry is not just words, it's actions. In the first chapter of Mark, we see several miracles. The first is casting out of demons or unclean spirits. The next is healing many people of their diseases. We see Jesus praying. Jesus is not above praying or talking to his Father either. And again, he is our model. If Jesus prays, we should pray too. And here again we see a man with leprosy, a very serious disease of the time, because it created outcasts. The question is, why is Jesus doing these things? Well, remember, Jesus' miracles had several functions. The first and most important is to establish his divine authority. God and God alone can control the universe, and here we see that Jesus is the conduit for that power. The second is that Jesus, that is God, has great compassion on us, and his miracles are not magic tricks. They aren't uh, flashy um, magician's tricks uh, that you might see on the stage. These are events that actually help and change and fix human beings. That's his miracles, to protect, to build up, to restore and renew. And we see here, too, that as we go through Mark, the other function is to confirm prophecy. Jesus will, throughout his gospel and his life, confirm that many of the predictions made in what we call the Old Testament, that is, the Jewish Bible, have come true with Jesus himself. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next week when we talk about Mark chapter 2.